Welcome to the Atlanta Career Journey Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Varnadel, and this week's guest is Dean Keener. He's Senior Vice President of Business Development at Lake Point Sports. I first met Dean as another dance dad, but to clarify that, we weren't the ones dancing. Our daughters were. As we got to know each other better, we realized we had a shared passion for both sports and business. Dean's had a successful career as a college athlete, as well as an NCAA basketball coach. He's also demonstrated those winning traits into the business world. And although we haven't seen each other really since our daughters retired from dancing, I always enjoy our conversation. So welcome to the podcast, Dean. Thank you. Glad to be with you. Great. So um, you've got a really interesting background. And, and I think uh, as a diehard lifelong sports fan, it's, uh, it's one that I would have loved to have experienced in some capacity. But uh, tell me kind of where it all got started. What's your background? Where'd you grow up? And um, what school did you go to? And a little bit about your first job. Sure. And, and again, thank you for the, for the introduction. And you're right, we were not the ones dancing, but we certainly enjoyed it when our daughters were, were going through that at a younger age. There would be no TikTok videos of us, for sure. <laughs> no, uh, not at all. Mm-hmm. So I, I was born and raised in a small town in Northeast Ohio, a suburb of Akron, Talmadge, Ohio. I grew up with an older brother uh, in an environment where strong family values were established at the onset. Um, my my father was a, in pharmaceutical sales. Uh, he was a pharmacist by trade and, and went to sales uh, early on. Um, my mom was a stay-at-home who volunteered at our school, our church, local community events. And, and, and both of my parents helped really instill a strong work ethic in my brother, who, as I mentioned, older, is five years older, and, and me as well as, I think, self-discipline and adaptability. And they, they taught us that honesty, loyalty, humility were key attributes that would make you successful in life of, regardless of what your endeavor was. Um, and so I think as a result of all of that, and, and I'm proud to, to talk about my parents that way, as, as a result, academic, athletic, professional success was hopefully established at an early age. My, my brother had a, a very big influence on me. Um, he was always, he, even though he was older, he always allowed me to kind of tag along. Mm-hmm. Um, and in particular to the athletic fields, uh, and more specifically the basketball courts uh, with his friends. And I think this only made me better. Um, you know, I think that's a really interesting story because there's, you know, for, for kids with older siblings, they generally will tag along, like you said, and, you know, the level of competition is usually much tougher because you're, you know, your brother's several years older. So you're fighting against those older kids growing up and it probably makes you better as an athlete, right? No no question. You know, and as I reflect back, that was, that was a long time ago, but yeah, there were a lot of times where I, I, I did have a difficult time early on uh, competing and he, he wouldn't let me walk away from it or, or quit, <laughs> right? And, and kind of go back to my age group. And you're right. I think it does. Uh, he was really my first coach, right? And that's a good way to put it. I, I allowed him most times to push me. And to your point, uh, I think making me a better athlete. And, you know, hopefully that helped um, not only during my high school career, but then it allowed me to um, attend college on a, on an athletic scholarship, a basketball scholarship at Davidson college. Yeah. And I think that you had a pretty good run there too. You guys wound up in the tournament and did really well one year from what I remember. Right. We, we did. And, and 
full transparency, I had a modest career uh, at Davidson, but I had a wonderful experience and made many lifelong friends. We, we did participate uh, in the 1986, gosh, I'm dating myself, 1986 <laughs> NCAA tournament. Yeah. Uh, we were the Southern Conference champions, played Kentucky in the first round. They beat us, but it was a, it was a competitive game. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, had, had a, again, modest, but really good experience. I was, was elected co-captain my senior year. And, and so um, there was that athletic side of things. And then the academic side at Davidson was really challenging. It's a small liberal arts school outside of Davidson. Right. Most sports people know it now as Steph Curry's school. Right. And, but, and but back in the day, no one had heard of it, right? I had a I had a classmate from my high school that went there, and and when he said where he was going, I had I had no idea. And you know, from Atlanta to Davidson's not that far, so I had to look it up. But that was, um, right. so actually, that's a really good point. So, how did you wind up going from Ohio outside of Akron uh, down to Davidson? Was it was just the opportunity to play, or did you um, have any other ties to the school or the area? No, no ties, right? So, yeah, so born and raised, as I mentioned, in in Northeast Ohio. My parents still live there. Uh, but, yeah, I, I really narrowed my college choices, uh, Miami of Ohio, Bowling Green, two Ohio schools, and Davidson. And it was, okay. it was as much, again, being honest, as a 17, 18-year-old, it was as much the, the, the basketball or the athletic side as it was the academic side. Sure. You yeah. know, people would say, I was an economics major, but, but I didn't know that I wanted to be an economics major or really what I wanted to do. So I think I, my parents helped guide me to say, Hey, Davidson's a good school. It's an outstanding school and you're going to get a real liberal arts education. But I was as much, if not more concerned about, Hey, who do we play in basketball? Can I play on the team? You know, that kind of thing. Yeah, it's, sure. it's, it's a natural evolution as, as that age. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely understandable. And I'm sure coming out of high school, you were a pretty good player because otherwise you wouldn't be playing in the college level. So I, I think that's a natural you know, expectations that I'm good at this level. I know I can take it to the next level, right? Or at least want to see how well I can do at the next level. Sure. Y- yes. I mean, there, there has to be some level of confidence and not just as an athlete, but as a performer, right? Whether it's yeah. dance, whether it's in the marching band, if you're good, um, at least in your own environment, your own world, your school, your region, yeah, there is a level of that, and, but you quickly find out that there are, there are others out there um, from all around the country that are as good, if not better. And yeah, so it was difficult, but fun. Yeah. And that's, that's a good point. Cause even, you know, performer definitely understand that I was in the band in high school and knew I wasn't that good and didn't want to even try in the college level, but in the academic world too, you know, I, I had a, you know, high school wasn't that difficult to me. There were, there were things that I found that were natural to me. And then when you step up to the next level and you go, oh, okay, there's a lot of smart people at this school. And, you know, I'm just in the middle of the pack here. And actually, I started out the lower end my freshman year. I really struggled. And it's it's sobering for an 18-year-old to realize, okay, now I've got to figure out a way to make myself better or adjust or adapt, right? So no, good, no good lessons there. Yeah. Yes, very, very good lessons. And they're, they're lifeless and they, and they can be difficult, right? I, I, I had to, somebody told me during that time, and I've kind of, continue to use the phrase, hey, life, life is hard. Once you figure that out, it becomes a little easier. Yeah, that's a really good point because it's so true. Yeah. I mean, you know, you, you think it, when you're in high school and you're really good at, again, whatever your craft is, your, whatever your passion is, um, 
and then you go and you're you're exposed to the, the broader world, uh, whether it's at the in the collegiate setting or you go into the workforce. You know, there's a lot of talented people out there, and it, and to your point, it's sobering, and you have to learn like okay. Um, I'm going to have to work and I'm going to have to work a little bit harder and that's okay to be challenged that way. Yeah. And those are life lessons that you'll never um, get rid of. Really. Those are, those are always going to be applicable regardless of, you know, the, the job you go into your stage in life, whatever the case is. So yeah, that's cool. So yeah. So coming up Davidson, what do you think you want to do? Economics major, you know, had a pretty good athletic run, but what were you thinking coming out of college? So pretty quickly at Davidson, um, after my first my freshman year, I, I knew that basketball was a passion, and I really I still loved it, even though I hadn't played a lot. But I knew that you know three after four years, uh, it was going to end. I was not going to play professionally <laughs> in the NBA or, or or overseas or anywhere else. But I wanted to try to to follow that path. So um, I started. Uh, networking, if you will, and working college and invitational basketball camps. Now, this, you have to remember, this was back in the 80s before travel basketball as we know it now, or really travel, youth travel sports, uh, whether it's baseball, volleyball, basketball. Um, that really didn't start until about the, the uh, early 90s. So the really good players would go to these invitational camps and select sites around the country. And I went and worked them as a counselor to put myself in the best position to learn the coaching and recruiting side of the business. Uh, and, and I also knew that this would help me network with college coaches around the country as they were allowed to uh, attend these camps. So my, my summers were jam-packed, you know, eight, nine, 10 weeks of camps, just traveling in my car from one location to another in preparation of being what at the entry level of sports uh, is called a graduate assistant. Now, okay. I will, I will say one uh, asterisk to that is in the spring of my senior year, my, my, my parents in particular, my dad said, you really wanted to go into coaching. They didn't really know what it was about. They knew that it wasn't going to pay a whole lot. Um, and so I, st- I did start interviewing on the Davidson campus with, Fortune 500 companies. And, and I had an opportunity, I had an offer from Procter & Gamble. And in the consumer packaged goods world, or CPG as it's called, yeah. they are a tier one. They're at the top. Particularly that's a good the- offer. Yeah, that's yeah. A really, that was a really good opportunity. And so how- <laughs> I was yeah, it, was, it was a difficult decision. They were going to send me in their PACE program to Dallas. Oh, they're headquartered in Cincinnati, but they're going to send me to Dallas to a uh, to a regional headquarter and I turned it down. And, you know, I mentioned earlier, my dad was in pharmaceutical sales for what turned out to be 33 years at the time. It was probably mid twenties. Yeah. And I thought he was going to throw me out of the family and disinherit me. <laughs> I was going to ask you how that conversation went. Cause I know how it would have gone in my house and it wouldn't have been pretty. No, it was, it was difficult, right? Like Dean, you're going to turn down this money to, to try to attempt to get a graduate ass- assistantship. Right? Mm-hmm. And that was April. And so I, I turned it down and still didn't have anything. And so it wasn't until about August, the first week in August, that I was offered a graduate assistant position at Drake University in Des Moines, Iowa. 
So pause there for just a second. So what was it in your mind that you felt like to go in the, the GA route was going to be better for you and uh, as opposed to, you know, hopping on this corporate train that was, you know, had a pretty good history of success. What was it for you that, that kind of swayed your mind? Well, I, I will say that the conversation with my parents didn't go well, the initial one. But after they, they reflected back on what I had been doing for the past three summers, preparing, you know, working these camps and making mm-hmm. hundred and ten dollars for a five to seven day camp you know and they put you up in the dorm and feed you but you're really not making a lot of money but they they knew uh, what my passion was yeah they they ultimately got behind me and said we will support you and we know you don't have anything now you're going to have to go through this summer and 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 they work they're competitive i mean even today these graduate assistants and assistantships in any sport are competitive and basketball only has one so finally acquired it. So, you know, what was going through my mind to answer your question was, I, I, I was happy that my parents did come to understand what I really wanted to do and they supported that. And so for that, I'm forever grateful. That's awesome. Um, and they also, the other thing was, and, and I, I sold myself and I sold them that a graduate assistant, while it really doesn't pay much of a stipend, they, they'll put you up. Uh, somewhere on campus uh, and in housing for free, they'll feed you and they'll also pay for your masters. And so I began work. My goal was to work on my MBA. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think I sold myself and them on that as well, that, Hey, if, if this coaching thing doesn't work out, I'm going to, I'm going to have an MBA paid for free. That's Uh, actually really good. That's a really good benefit. Great, great benefit. Now the, the, the thing is, after my first year, I was elevated to a full-time coaching position. Now, that's a thrill. That's great. And while I was really fortunate to enter into kind of the coaching world at a young age, it caused me to drop out of graduate school for time constraints and so forth. And be very candid that to this day, I mean, I, I'm it's still one of my biggest life regrets is that I did not finish my, my MBA in some form or fashion, even if it took, you know, longer time. And I, I would, you never can have too much education and knowledge. Yeah. But it's a tough decision, right? Cause obviously you're achieving success. They're, they're promoting you. They want you to um, continue to do more of what you've already, you know, um, demonstrated. And so, yeah, I think at the time you almost have to sort of ride that wave and go, this is my one shot. You know, I can always come back to school. I know as, you know, Shaq and others that are high profile athletes have, have said that uh, you can always come back to it. But you no, know, sometimes again, you may be, and that this is not really the right phrase, but a victim of your own success, right? As you get further along and, you know, you don't have the time to come back to school, but you don't necessarily need it because you're already achieving things in your, in your career. So is that kind of what happened? It, it was. Yeah. And I think, you know, let me, a great, great point. And let me, let me rephrase that. Yes. I, I was fortunate to be elevated in it into a full-time full paid, you know, and benefit position. And it was what I wanted. So that was great at the time to say um, it, it's a, it's a big life regret. You're exactly right. You can always go back. And I think as I reflect back, I didn't have to stay with it during that year, my first year in full-time coaching, but I had, Gosh, I don't remember now, you know, 12 to 15 hours knocked out after that first year that if mm-hmm. I would have just continued to chip away. Um, yeah. 
you know, now it's over time, I've lost the hours I'd have to start all over. But I think that's what I'm saying is just kind of continue to persevere. Yes, you can always go back, but just kind of always have that as a, as a goal. Yeah, no, it's a really good point. And I, I was kind of the same way where I, I came out of college and started with Delta. And there wasn't really the need to have a graduate degree. I mean, there were some people that did, but it wasn't like, oh, you're not going to get above this level unless you've got an MBA or some specialization. And I didn't really think the need to do it. And so then you fast forward, you get married, you have kids, and then you've got other things on your plate. And, and the thought of going back to school and, and, you know, running through the next three to five years of night school and bouncing stuff is, is a, is a real challenge. So yeah, it's, it's something to think about for younger people. Um, and every, every path is a little different, but yeah, it's, it's a struggle when you're, when you get to be where we are now, it's like, mm, the thought of going to school is a little tough. <laughs> very much so. Very much so. Yeah, but so, you still need to continue to learn in some form or fashion. Right? Totally. Yeah. You yeah. do. You never stop doing that for sure. So, yeah. so you, so tell me a little bit about your coaching path. I mean, I, I know obviously where you wound up, um, but yeah, tell me about how things kind of migrated from uh, your, your various stops. Yeah. So, so for the sake of time, kind of, Navigated uh, several stops along the way from Drake, spent time at the uh, University of Southern California. Great experience with an individual who has become a lifelong mentor, a uh, coach by the name of George Raveling. Um, just a, a fascinating human being that, as, as a side note, he is the um, owner or I guess has in his possession a Martin Luther King speech notes. Um, George, back in uh, at that time, was a, uh, a student at Villanova University, had heard that there was going to be this march on Washington in, uh, at the time. And so the, and he went up there, and he and a teammate were both 6'6", six, 6'7". Six, six, they were asked the day before to be security. And lo and behold, they were security on the stage. Wow. With John Lewis and Martin Luther King and so forth. And as Dr. King left the stage after his um, speech, Coach Raveling simply said, Dr. King, could I have your notes? And he handed them to him. Is that and right? To, yeah, and still has them. Um, and as a side note, it's interesting that, and I have, I have seen that he's got them framed and he's now got them in a, in a safe location, but I have, I've seen the, the notes that I have a dream was actually written, handwritten uh, the day of. That was not the title of the speech, nor was it actually incorporated. It was an ad lib minutes before by Dr. King. Wow. Um, but I, I, I say that just George got, just Coach Rav has such wonderful stories and a background, and he's been a, he's been a real mentor to me. So um, sorry to get t- sidetracked, but I really no, had, it's a good story. had a wonderful time uh, at, at Southern Cal. Well, after time there, um, he announced that he was going to resign and become director of the National Association of Basketball Coaches, uh, really kind of a union of sort for the coaches. And, and I moved to Virginia Tech. Um, and to think, age 25, 26, you move from Southern Cal- the beaches of Southern California <laughs> to Blacksburg, Virginia. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, as you reflect back now, there is a plan – because uh, as it turned out, um, I met my future wife. She was, uh, Meg was working on her master's mm-hmm. uh, in elementary education at Virginia Tech. And so obviously I'm glad that I made the move. Yeah. 
things, things always tend to work out, as you say. So spent time at Virginia Tech, then to Southern Methodist, SMU in Dallas, mm-hmm. uh, and then to Georgia Tech, where for four years, um, Paul Hewitt replaced legendary coach Bobby Crimmins mm-hmm. in April of 2000 and was fortunate to, to join Paul. We had worked together at University of Southern California with Coach Raveling. That was our connection and our friendship. And we had a great four-year run that culminated in playing for the national championship in 2004. Yeah. And then, again, was fortunate enough to um, be appointed the head coach at James Madison University, JMU in mm-hmm. Virginia. And uh, so just some, some great memories of coaching over 20 years. And uh, it, when it ended at James Madison, uh, we got better every year. We just, we were just quite honestly, it was a time we weren't quite good enough. The, the, the league, the Colonial Athletic Association was just really, really good. And um, when I left there, I was, I was really at a crossroads. And uh, so at that time, decided to get out of coaching uh, and really haven't regretted it. But uh, the, the 20 years from college through, um, you know, all the different stops really helped form me as a, a person, right? And uh, a dad and a husband and a mentor in a lot of other ways. So uh, I don't regret leaving the coaching per se, coaching profession, but really loved the 20 years I was in it. That's awesome. And, and so I'm, I imagine you've picked up some pretty good lessons. I mean, picking up those stops, each, each school has its own culture, its own personality, um, probably no different than going to work in different companies too. So what were some of the things as you, as you made each new stop, um, were there certain strategies or tactics that you used to sort of, you know, understand where you are and then be able to make your mark and do some new things? Was there a, a pattern that you followed or was everyone slightly different? Well, it, yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. And so um, I have, as mentioned, I have no regrets on 20 years in, in, in college coaching. I think every, each move I made, I think, at least with the information I had at the time was well thought out and, mm-hmm. and professionally a step in the right direction, right? It was either um, for professionally, it was, it was working with somebody who I felt could help mentor me. Um, it meant a slightly higher level, right? Moving from Virginia Tech back when I was there was not in the ACC. So the move from Virginia Tech to, to SMU what professionally was a step up and then SMU to Georgia Tech in the ACC was a step up. So not only were you recruiting a higher level athlete, but um, you, you had more resources. Um, so I, it was good. Now, what I will tell you is in hindsight, I think there, there were times where I was probably in a small way chasing fame or fortune as a young person. And now that I get older, I'm, I'm, I wish I would have chased knowledge even more, right? I think there's different stages of our life and it's okay to chase certain things, but did I chase industry knowledge as much as I could have? I, I don't know, right? I, I work for some wonderful people that influenced my way of thinking as a coach, as a leader, just as a human being. Um, and this, this is not only, was not only the coaches that I worked with and under, but athletic administrators, support personnel, I mean, even faculty, 
uh, at each at each institution. Uh, you try to glean information, but as I look back now, I wish I would have done that even more than maybe chasing other things that at the time I felt were were more important. Interesting. No, that's really good insight. And you know, you obviously have the you know the luxury of reflection to kind of look back and assess things. But you know, in the moment, sometimes it's hard to really see that that forest through the trees, right? You're just trying to to do what you think is best at the time with the information you have. So that's really good insight. No, um, no, no, no question. Right. I mean, you, you, you do. And we all have, you know, as we get older, we have that hindsight to, to reflect upon sometimes when we're 20, 25, 30 years old, uh, what, what we deem as important then may not be as important later on. Uh, yeah. Sometimes it only comes through experience. Um, yes. Yeah. Sometimes that's, that's the best teacher of all, right? That's exactly right. Yeah. So I know you and I've talked, you know, outside of this podcast and, and uh, you really had a, a true gift for recruiting um, and your coaching career. And so I think did that sort of give you some insight as you stepped away from coaching as to what your next, your next career move was going to be? Yeah. Y- yes. And, and so I was, I knew um, that I was ready to step away from coaching for, for a number of reasons. And, and a good bit of it was to spend more time with family. At yeah. the time when I stepped out, our, our daughter was uh, not quite four. Our son was, you know, two and a half. They were young. But the last year I spent in college coaching, the last calendar year, I spent 212 days uh, away or not in my own bed. Yeah. And, and that was tough. Uh, whether it was for games, whether it was recruiting, um, at the at the quote, mid-major level at JMU, there were fundraising activities. And while I, I didn't dislike any of that, um, my my relationship with my wife and my kids just wasn't what I wanted. And so um, I knew again, I knew I was ready to to step away. So um, I I leaned on just a couple of colleagues. Um, that I felt really could, that had been mentors and um, that could help me kind of find what I wanted to do, quote unquote, when, when I grew up. And yeah, um, one of those individuals was a gentleman by the name of Tim Barton, who I had met when I was at Georgia Tech. And uh, I, I knew right away after visiting with him that he possessed you know, superior business acumen as really, as well as being a really good person. And mm-hmm. As a side note, he had actually out of college gone to work for Procter and Gamble. Then he opened his own um, executive search headhunting um, shop and had been very, very successful. And so, I spent almost seven years um, at, at recruiting, and um, I think holistically, it made me a better leader and a better business professional. It, it BES Barton Executive Search is a small boutique firm with is at the time there were about 10 to 12 full-time employees. Therefore, you had to wear a lot of different hats. I was, but I was exposed to senior level executives on a daily basis and asked to recruit and interview these executives as, as well as manage a broad range of consumer-facing clients across the country. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it was challenging in many ways because the the, the the acronyms and the vernacular that they used was not something that I had grown up with over 20 years in coaching. Right? And yeah. 
uh, you, you know, at, at that age, I guess at the time I was in my early 40s, um, I felt like, gosh, gosh, I've recruited 18-year-olds. Why can't I recruit a 40 or 50-year-old to become a CEO or a you know, divisional vice president to this organization? Well, it's not quite that simple. And, and it's, it's not as simple as just looking at a resume. Uh, how, do you, you know, how do you understand the how and why business decisions are made at the highest level? And why, you know, what, what's their financial and acumen? What's their, have they ever gone through succession planning? And you know, so I've had, I had to redefine my skill set. Yeah. Um, so that was a challenge, but it was, it was fun along the way. And Tim gave me, you know, that the first year or two to really kind of ramp up and, and did that for seven years, as I say, but to say that I recruited collegiate athletes and then business leaders, that it really was, it was different other than the ability to get on the phone and, and deal in cold calling mm-hmm. um, or conversations with people that you really hadn't, didn't, hadn't met previously, there it was a world of difference. Yeah, it's like saying I'm an athlete, but a basketball player is different than a baseball player, right? Correct. Yeah, yeah. Now that that totally makes sense. And and even in each company, as you know, they've all got their own language, almost their own acronyms, their own industry jargon, you know, strategies and how things work. Um, so there are some parallels with some, but obviously they're very different too. So yeah, it's it is a ramp up period. That's. That's good. I know you did well there, um, and you've kind of since moved on to a different role now. So tell me a little bit about what you're doing now. Yeah, so after, after seven years, I, um, I again, made my, my, my time there gave me the ability to, I guess, uh, identify uh, synergies that, in, in, that can increase uh, you know, companies' efficiencies and productivity and profitability. And I think had I, had I done some of that prior to coaching, it would have made me probably a better assistant and head coach. Um, it was, so I can't underscore my time at Barton Executive, but that said, while not necessarily looking, received a call from, from, a, from a good friend and said, hey, do you know anything about Lake Point Sports? And I said, well, is that that place way up there? you know, um, that has those baseball fields. And that was about all I knew. And they said, yeah, it's a youth sports campus that's in Emerson, Georgia. I had never heard of Emerson, <clears throat> respectfully. And it's just outside of Cartersville. And um, they were looking for somebody to be, <clears throat> excuse me, um, general manager, I guess, for lack of better, uh, over the indoor pavilion. <clears throat> and... Um, so I, I interviewed and was offered the position, as I mentioned, August 15th of, I guess, 2015. Today is, is the five-year anniversary of my <laughs> Congratulations. Tenure. Yeah, thank you. Uh, gosh, as I'm thinking, gosh, time, there's been some slow days, but many of them have been, have been fast. The time goes fast, I guess, when you're having fun. Yeah. It, it's been a journey, right? We've, we've had our ups and downs, and we've had challenges, but I think <clears> – <throat> before we go too much deeper into the role itself, I, I, when I interviewed, I, I liked the fact that it was, it was going to put me back around sports and around youth athletes. Right. And, and our core is we, we say eight to 18, but it's really probably 12 to 16 are the age athletes that participate in a variety of sports on our campus, you know, okay. in, in our, 
indoor pavilion. We call it the Champion Center. Uh, it has 12, it's a 170,000 square foot facility that has 12 basketball courts that can convert to 24 volleyball. So you can have massive events. Um, and it's more than just that. You can have gymnastics, you can have cheerleading. We've had um, indoor soccer, they call futsal, wrestling, just a variety of events. We've got eight major league uh, size baseball fields, not with the stands, but with the fields themselves. We have three turf fields for soccer, lacrosse, seven-on-seven football, and we have a 10-court beach volleyball pavilion. So it's the campus itself is just under 1,300 acres. We don't have all of that developed yet. We've got about 450 acres developed with, uh, with those venues as well as some restaurants and, and two hotels on site. Um, but but I knew when I, when I interviewed and was offered that, or if, if I was going to be offered, I would take the position because, again, it kind of put me back in um, I knew something that, I had, that I'd missed, and that was sports, the connectivity. And while I don't have a daily um, connection to all the athletes that are coming on our campus, I knew that in some small way I might be able to help uh, a, a few at some point in, in a mentoring or – a volunteering situation. That's amazing. I had no idea all of those facilities existed there. I mean, I, I knew about some of the ball fields, but I didn't know it had the breadth of what you just described. So that's, that's amazing. How does, um, how do these kids get involved with, um, you know, either participating up there or being, um, you know, a member or whatever the, um, yeah. the activity level is? Yeah. So, so, so Lake Point primarily is known for, sports in, in the travel uh, sport industry. So, you know, higher level youth travel teams, all-star teams in, mm-hmm. in a baseball fashion or basketball, volleyball. But that said, we do have um, leagues here in a variety of sports that are, you know, from the kind of the recreation level and everything in between. There, there's no, there are no memberships per se to, to join, you know, our, our, indoor pavilion, our champion center, or, or anything else that we have. Um, we also have certain dates throughout the week where uh, people can come have open play volleyball on the sand volleyball courts or open play volleyball, indoor basketball, things of that nature. Now it's obviously been affected by COVID, but yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. But, but there's, so it's, it's primarily travel sports, Okay. The, you know, we'll, we'll, our tagline is, you know, the premier youth sports destination uh, in a normal year. If I can use that term, <laughs> we'll, we'll have athletes and families from all 50 states and, you know, sometimes as many as four or five different countries that will come here for particularly during the summer months. Um, so it's, uh, it's, it's fun, again, to be around uh, sports again and, and helping run um, in particular, the Champion Center, but but doing a lot of other things all around the campus. But yeah, COVID COVID has certainly affected us. Yeah, it's um, and I don't know at the youth level. You know, are they are they taking certain precautions? Are they canceling seasons? How has that really played out this year so far? Yes, um, all of the above. Right? So, um, and I failed to mention GHSA, the Georgia High School Athletic Association also has had events here as well. So for, again, kind of 
the recreation level to the high school level and then to the to the elite travel athletes of all forms uh, will will participate uh, at our venues but with regards to covid yeah we were we were like many we were shut down um, and we we postponed everything from March 12th and did not reopen in a phased approach until early June. Okay. And um, kind of our, our mantra was crawl, walk, run. Mm-hmm. We've certainly not hit the run stage by any means, but, you know, we, we put a task force together and based on county, state, and federal guidelines of how we could do certain sports in a safe manner. And baseball has been – as you can imagine, a bit easier. Uh, mm-hmm. It's outdoors. Uh, you ask the umpire to take a full step back behind the catcher so you don't have three standing around home plate. You, you social distance when you're in the dugouts. So it, it's, it's worked fairly well. And we've had some, some pretty successful tournaments. Um, we we had, had regional and state uh, individuals from the Department of Health come and give us additional information and, and protocols. Um, how do you not just, you know, masks and hand sanitizing and sanitizing of, they've, they've indicated that the balls themselves, baseballs, basketball, football, soccer, they, they while we sanitize at every opportunity, the, the, the virus really doesn't live on those mm-hmm. um, like they thought. But um, we've, we've done, I think we've probably exceeded uh, even our own expectations, but again, it has been very difficult. And most of our events have been, what I would say, uber local. Um, whereas, you know, in previous summers, as I mentioned, we've had we would have uh, boys and girl athletes from around the country that would yeah, travel so they'd to fly Atlanta, in. Yeah. yeah, and and maybe spend three, four, sometimes up to seven days in a large national tournament, and now we're finding that these, these tournaments are just very, very small and they're one day or if they're two or three day events that they're, they're just local athletes, not just, but they're local athletes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we all just sort of be flexible and make those adjustments and, and just, you know, see where the, the medical professionals and, and how things play out this year. And, you know, the schools are another barometer, right. Of how successful can we be with, with kids and, you know, general population, um, are they, is it spreading? Are we containing it? Is there all the other risks associated with that? So you mentioned like with um, the uh, the teams that would fly in. So are there facilities there on campus, if you will, that they can stay there or they just, they, they book hotels around that Cartersville area or even around Atlanta? Yeah, great question. So our, our goal and is, and our master plan is to have not only additional hotels on site, but um, yeah, almost dormitory kind of housing yeah. um, uh, for, for the athletes. That we've not been able to do that. And obviously there's been a disruption with, with COVID and we've had to, to pivot and, and you find in a hurry that you know, life, life can change in a moment's notice. And uh, so whether it's your individual career path or your work, you, you know, regardless, you've got to be, you've got to be nimble at times and, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and listen you know, to, to maybe what you've learned in the past. But you no, know, to, to your point of when, when these, these large tournaments, 
Um, as an example, generally after the 4th of July, so July 5th through, there's about a 12 to 14 day window. So somewhere between July 5th and July 20th, Late Point um, will utilize up to 3,000 hotel nights in the greater Atlanta area per night. Wow. Week period. Yeah. Between Under Armour runs a very large basketball, youth basketball event, not only at our venue with 12 basketball courts, but they'll utilize local colleges or high school uh, uh, venues as well. And then, as mentioned, we've got eight baseball, and they'll also not only use those eight, they'll go off-site and use additional. Um, and then, you know, Cam Newton has run his Elite 7-on-7 seven seven tournaments here. So, they're, you know, during those two or three weeks in July, in normal times, yeah, it is, it is a crowded campus. We can have as many as 10,000 people on campus at any oh, point. Oh, wow. Time. That's insane. I, I had no idea it was that large, but I guess, you know, you just, you do the math and at every local level, there's all kinds of youth sports going on. And so if you've got a tournament or someplace that's a destination for, for kids to either get better or just treat themselves one summer, that's, that's not surprising, but that's amazing. Yeah. 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 Well, cool. This is, yeah, this is, um, this has been a lot of fun, man. So my last question I usually ask my guests is just what advice would you give to a younger you? You touched on some of the, life lessons that you've learned over the years, as we talked about, uh, with, with age comes wisdom. So, um, what would you say to yourself, mm-hmm. either your high school self or college self coming out of, out of those educational institutions? The best question of all, right. And, and so I'll, I'll try to be brief. Um, you know, I, I think it's, it's interesting and it's a very relevant question. You know, we talked at the beginning of the conversation about how we met in our daughters and, uh, just took our daughter to college this week. And you, you truly come to recognize that family and, and balance are really the keys to happiness. Um, but I, I think in particular, I would tell my younger self, or I would tell somebody that's in high school or college now, you know, a couple of things, like enjoy life, find, find a mentor, uh, network, don't, don't let your ego get in the way of logic and practicality. And, and I guess what I mean by that, it, it's, it's okay to fail. Um, and, you know, we all have, we all battle some of the biggest things in the hearts and chambers of our own mind. And don't, how do we, how do we silence sometimes those inner voices? It's not easy, right? But you've got to embrace Doubt, and it goes back to like not being scared to fail. You got to you got to embrace doubt as a friend, not a foe. You're going to make mistakes. You're not going to bat a thousand, and and that's okay, right? Don't beat yourself up. You know, kind of get to the next play, if you will, as I guess if I can use coaching terminology. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, you, you're. I, I think your dream. Don't give up on your dreams, right? A dream is not a lie uh, if, it, if it doesn't come true, right? You just keep dreaming, keep trying, and, and do something every day that you might never have done before. And, and so that goes back to maybe enjoying, you know, your work-life balance a little bit. So um, that, that's a lot there, but, but I think um, don't, 
don't define, as I've gotten older, I think I would close that question by saying, I've not always tried to use the word happy or unhappy in my life because I, if I want to be happy every day, I'm going to, I'm going to be disappointed. And what, what exactly does define happiness, right? When I was younger, I, it was, I want to climb that ladder, right? The coaching ladder or the corporate ladder. Um, And that's okay. And I wanted to climb the financial ladder and that's okay. But um, don't, don't let all those things that you think ultimately are going to be a destination of happiness define you, right? Just, just wake up every day and, and continue living your dreams, do things you've never done before, continue to network, lean on your mentors, and, and don't be scared to fail. That's great advice. Those concepts are, are truly, um, they span generations, they span industries, sports, business, whatever. Those are really kind of to the core of, you know, what success really is. And you touched on a couple of things that, you know, I've seen in my work where like, don't be afraid to fail. That is, you know, you learn more about failing than you do about succeeding. You know, we talked earlier about coming out of say high school where you felt like you had a pretty good handle on whether it's sports or academics. And then when you get to a situation where you've got to, you know, adjust, figure out and like what got me here is not going to take me to where I want to go. So don't be afraid to fail is, is huge. I think leaders in organizations are still struggling with that. They say that they want to do that, but sometimes mm-hmm. it's harder to put into practice, you know, and no one likes to fail, you know, but I think you, you that's, that's really where your life lessons are about character, about adjustments, um, finding your flaws, you know, working on those or working on your strengths and getting better, whatever those might be. So yeah, mm-hmm. this is all really good. I think mentorship is also critical because I think you can, you can get into this mode, especially if you're good, that I can figure this out on my own. And I think having that insight um, to kind of look broader or put things in perspective where maybe you're in the weeds a little too much is really helpful coming into a college or into your working career. So it's important to find those as well. So great, great advice, man. I really appreciate this. Well, thank you. Yeah. I, um, I think you and I share a lot of common traits and, and life guess life presents us miracles every day. And we've got to believe that and continue to tell ourselves that particularly in, in the world that we're in right now, right? Yes. It's a strange time and we, it's easy to get discouraged. Uh, we're, we're even deeper than that. And we just got to continue to, uh, to, to utilize every, you know, every, the, the momentum and the lessons every day to, to, to be a better tomorrow for ourselves and for the world, right? Exactly. Yeah, and flexibility for students right now is critical with the, the, the bouncing between, you know, in-class and virtual um, I don't know how, you know, Julia's orientation was, but for Kara, she had a combination at Auburn of in-person, you know, lecture as well as virtual. And there's some hybrid classes and there's some that are straight up virtual. So um, it's, you know, it's not ideal, but you make the most of it. You know, you're there to get an education and learn and, and to, to network and meet friends and, you know, kind of start to fulfill some of the dreams you've been talking about since you were little. So um, I don't know if, um, where's Julia going? this year? Yep. She is at the University of Kentucky and in okay. a very similar setting. Uh, yeah. Currently two, two virtual, two in person and one hybrid between her five yeah. classes. And, you know, I, I, you know, as we left her, 
And, and that, gosh, that's, that's difficult. But uh, <laughs> yes. as I left her, I did, a, a, on, among a couple pieces of advice, I said, boy, if, we can, if you can continue to have that schedule, I think we, we should all consider that a win, right? Yeah. And, and, and so, and in some instance, hey, embrace that, right? It's, gosh, you don't have to get up every morning and walk across campus, right? So you can, uh, you, you can kind of jump on that computer and uh, hook up your 32-inch TV screen that we got you. And so you've got an even bigger screen to see everybody in class. And again, kind of just how can we, how can we kind of make the most of what is not, we hope that the current is not a new normal, but what, whatever it is, let's make the most of it. Because mm-hmm. it is, it's easy to, to get down and say, you know, woe is me, I'm not having the experience as a college student or as a professional or as a parent or, or whatever uh, in these days. It's, it's easy to, to really let that get to your psyche. And um, we've just yeah. got to be positive. That's a good, that's a good thing. You know, flip the script a little bit, you know, take something that's not really ideal or is a challenge or something you weren't expecting and flip around and say, I can learn something new or to your point, I don't have to hike across campus to um, either in the heat or in the cold, depending on when it is. And I can get started earlier. I can learn more tools online and kind of figure out how the next, you know, opportunity can come up. So it's, it is really a lot about mindset. And I think you can really, you know, wallow in, you know, situations that are not ideal. And that's not just with COVID, right? That's going to be everybody's life every single year. So finding a way to be positive about things and um, figuring out how to, to solve a solution in a different way. And if you can master that, you can master any job that you have coming up, you know, any, any relationship or anything else that, that life throws at you. So all yes. good. Yes. I would all right, tell Dean. people, you know, hey, commit to being a positive difference maker. In this yes. And hold that with you moving forward. That's great advice. Yeah. We need more of that for sure. <laughs> well, Dean, listen, I've, I've taken up enough of your time this morning. I really appreciate your time. It's always great to catch up with you. Thanks for, um, you know, walking us through a little bit of your background and, and some of the, um, strate- the uh, strategies for success that you've done. Well, thank you for having me. This is, uh, this has been a thrill. Good to catch up and, uh, yeah, the best to you and, and, and all the listeners. Awesome. Thanks, Dean. Take care. Thank you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.